Good to see you on this Memorial Day weekend. I guess it is a big time for people to go to different places. Glad you all stuck around here, at least for today. We're going to be over in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel this morning, chapter 18. We looked last week at some things going on in the area of anger and, and bitterness. We wanted to continue looking at some of those things that we can put ourselves on a better defense for that. But in the last couple of weeks, as we've been on this series now for, for a little while, but the last number of weeks, we looked at a couple of things that we ought to stay out of and some things we ought to get into on a regular basis. The one of the things was that as far as uh, the words that come out of our mouth, it says, be rejoicing in the Lord. How often? Always. We need to be rejoicing in the Lord always. Those are the things that need to come out. Not complaining, not bickering, but rejoicing. Always. And along with that, it also told us in the Word of God not to have any worry, anxiety, that fear was not to be a part of our life. We were to get these things out. And we saw, just from the physical standpoint, that if you bring these things in, it will have an effect upon your physical body. Many times people are praying for God to relieve them of these physical conditions but they're doing the thing that brings them into their body. And we need to knock that stuff off. Not just pray, well, God, get rid of this for me. No, what kind of things are you doing that God said don't do? What kind of things are you not doing that God said to do? Last week we looked at the woman who was brought, caught in a very act of adultery, and people accused her. We saw that the devil also does this. This is his job. He likes to accuse people. He sits up there in heaven accusing you, accusing the brethren all the time. If you're going to accuse somebody of something, it's never anything good, is it? You accuse them of bad things. And when we begin to become like the devil and begin to accuse others, we're carrying on his work. If you begin to accuse your spouse, your kids, neighbors, co-workers, boss, whoever it might be, as you let those accusations come out of your mouth or even just settle into your heart, it will change you. And what we looked last week, gave you a long list of things that happen when bitterness gets a hold of you. These are just physical changes that happen in your body because bitterness has gotten a hold of you. We've got to keep bitterness out. The Word of God told us, told us how to do it. And we're looking this, this week or last week and this week, we're going to be looking at some things to get bitterness out of our life. But the accuser of the brethren, as he's called in the Bible, he goes around, he not only accuses you before God, but his kingdom, they come and they whisper accusations to you. How often have you heard things like, how can you ask God for this when you have done such and such? Oh, I have done that, haven't I? Oh, yes. Yes, I, I did do that. Well, that's not God telling you that. <laughs> that's the enemy making accusations against you. And it keeps you down, keeps you under from doing those things. I was listening to uh, some of Brother Hagin's uh, er earlier messages when he was going over his healing testimony. And one of the things he had remarked about on there was how, as he was learning, there was no one around in his day to teach them the things about healing that we know now in the, in the Word. Now, other people knew it. He just, they weren't around where he, where he was. He wasn't having people who were coming in telling him that. They were all coming in telling him, well, get ready to die. But he didn't, he didn't see that in the Word. So he was learning some things from the Word. And he saw that the, that the prayer of the righteous would avail much. He saw that in the Word of God. And so he says, well, if that's true, then I can pray. I don't need some minister to come and pray for me. I can pray myself. And just like that, he said, the enemy came up and accused him. He says, yeah, but you're not righteous. Remember what you did? And he told him what he did or thought or whatever it might be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you get righteous, you can go ahead and make that prayer. But you're not righteous yet. Well, then the Lord directed him to do a study on righteousness. And he found out some things that he was righteous. He was declared to be righteous. He was already righteous. And that he couldn't make that prayer. But the, the accuser wants to come along and tell you, you can't do this. You shouldn't do that. Or this person is doing this against you or whatever it might be. We've got to get those things out of our life. Now, I've got a couple of pictures here. I wanted to start off having you take a look at. And we gave them in, in order. How many would like to move into this house? 
Anybody want to move in? All, all ready for you to go right in there? Just, uh, just, just move. How many, how many of you would like to go through that house? <laughs> Most people, no, no, we want to stay out of that, out of that kind of place. And uh, go, go on to our next picture. I wanted to show you this one too. Now here's a nice, friendly-looking lake. Doesn't that look friendly? How many of you want to take a swim out there right now? Just going out there and just, you know, Memorial Day weekend, just going out there and, and have a swim. Anybody want to do that? Well, i got one more, one more place for you. How about this? Is this a little more inviting for you to go into? <laughs> no beaches, just cliffs. You can just come off to the end of the cliff and then just go right on into the water. How's that for that sound for inviting? You look at something like that, he says, well, how do you get out? <laughs> are you stuck in there once you get in there? There are some places here on earth that we look at and we say, I will never be in there, not for five minutes, not for one minute. I am not going in. And yet God has told us certain things not to be involved with and not to get into. And we get into them all the time. How is it we're not as afraid of the things that God says don't get involved with that as we are some of these kind of areas? I've heard some people say, I didn't show any pictures of the ocean because if I did that, some people say, oh, no, no, I'm not going in the ocean. And other people say, I'm ready. So I tried to get some pictures that would discourage most of us from, from getting in there and, and going out and being a part of that. We need to get to the place where I am just as concerned about getting involved in areas that God said don't get involved with. Don't do that. Don't be worried. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. And when God says it, I just say, well, God said not to do it. I need not to do it. I need not be like the kids. You know, you go, you go up and say, don't stick your fingers in the socket. How many of y'all know when you're a kid, don't stick your fingers in the socket? How many of us did it anyway? You know, why, why, why am I not supposed to stick my finger in the socket? Then we find out. Don't stick your finger in the socket. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, now... When he had finished speaking to Saul, speaking about David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now Saul, we've already know Saul's gotten into trouble. We're not going to go into all the details of, of Saul, but Saul's gotten into trouble. Saul was picked out by God and anointed by God to be the king. And what was, you may not know all the things, but just begin to ponder this. What was one of the things that God put upon the king of Israel to do? They were to wipe out all the giants that remained from the land of Canaan, and they were delivered to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines. That's one of the things that the king was supposed to, to do in the areas of, of war. And so there was an anointing on the king to do these particular things, and Saul was an anointed warrior. He was taller than most people. He looked like a warrior. But God had anointed him to be a warrior, and great battles were won under Saul. But he got prideful. And he began to not do the things that God said to do. And eventually God said, I am sorry I made Saul king. And so he called on Samuel. So Samuel, get up and I want you to go out and I want you to anoint someone else. And they sent him over to Jesse's house. And you know the story how he went through all the sons and no, this isn't it. And don't you have any other sons? Well, there's one more. They went out in the sheepfolds and they got him and they brought him in. This is the one. So he was anointed. And so that anointing that was on Saul came over to David because Saul didn't do the things that he was supposed to do. So now David has this anointing to be a warrior and to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines and to wipe out the giants that remain. Now the reason, in case you, you, some folks may not know, the reason you had to wipe out the giants was because this was a, a scheme of Satan to pollute the blood and thereby stop the uh, Messiah from being born. Because we had the, uh, the, the Bible calls it this way. It says the sons of the, the, well, the angels, fallen angels, had come down from heaven. And they had uh, babies with the daughters of men, it said. And that produced the giant. This is really where Greek mythology came out of. They took those things that were done and uh, they made even bigger things out of it. 
but the Bible tells us about some of the, the kings and some of the people that came from there and how big they were and uh, how uh, incredible were the Israelites when they came into the land of Canaan and sent out the spies. And they came back and said, hold on a minute. <laughs> the, the sons of Anak are there. The giants are in the land. We can't go there. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. These guys are big. These guys are huge. We can't go there. And you remember Joshua and Caleb, they said, hey, God's given us the land. They are, they are meat for us. We can do it. But that was one of the purposes of the king here was to, was to do that. And so when David went out under that anointing and slew Goliath, he was operating under the, the anointing of the king, which was to rid Israel of all of the giants that were in the land and to deliver them from the Philistines and any other enemy that would come up. So that anointing is on him. So Saul recognized that this was a, a man who was, who was good, who's going to help him in the cause that God had given the anointing had left Saul, but the purpose of his office was still there. How hard is it to accomplish the purpose for the office for which you're in, but no longer have the anointing? That's got to be tough, isn't it? But that's what he had to do. The anointing was no longer with him. So David was sent. Jonathan, of course, was his son, was a tremendous man of war. This is why David and he hit it off so well. They had a lot of things in common and they... Uh, were great men of integrity. Jonathan just was, we don't have as many stories about him, but when you get to heaven, he's one of those guys you want to meet. Stand in line. You know, if you go to the Disney parks, they have all the different princesses and things stand up, and you've got to stand in line to get through there. I know that because we took the little girl over to see all the princesses and the, and the folks there, and you stand in line, and you wait to get to see the princess, and get your picture taken with the princess and all this sort of stuff. Well, when you get to heaven, if there's a line, there's going to be a line for some people. You all know there's going to be a line for Paul. Everybody wants to meet Paul. Everybody wants to meet Moses. Joshua is probably going to have a line. Peter, he's probably going to have a line. John, he's probably going to have a line. But uh, there, might, there might be a line in there that's not too long. And so while the other lines are thinning out, you know, you go to this ride while this one is, is uh, busy. And so go over and meet Jonathan. He is just a remarkable person from the Old Testament. Great character. And uh, the little we have on him, the study you can do on it just shows how wonderful of a person this guy was. But here we have bonds that are being formed that were really here designed to help Saul accomplish the purpose for which he's supposed to, to do, deliver Israel. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him and he said they have ascribed to David ten thousand and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. So up till now it has been a wonderful bond that has been building. Saul is thrilled to have David with him. This is not the first time that David had come to him, but he had let him go back and forth between home and, and here. But then he just said, you know what? You just need to stay here. This is just, what you're doing for me is just invaluable. It's just great. I, I just can't let you go on home. I need you to stay here. And so he stayed there with them. Big bond is being uh, built there. He put him in charge of things. And whatever he went out and did, he just came back. He just did it so well. And if David does well, doesn't that help Saul? But all of a sudden they're coming back and the people realized what was going on with David, that this anointing, I don't know if they realized the anointing was on him, but they saw that David went out there and he just, man, he didn't mess with David. He was the Rambo out there on the, on the battlefield. He just took people out and, and they saw this or heard about this. And so they even came up with a song about it. And Saul, one man has slain thousands. That's pretty good. But David has slain his tens of thousands. And so Saul hears that, and then he says this. They have ascribed to David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? What has gone on here? We went from where Saul and David were getting tighter and tighter. Saul was enjoying David a great deal. And then he heard this. And it seems like someone whispered something in Saul's ear. How come they only gave you a thousand? Why did they give David ten thousand? Do you think something is brewing? 
Do you think the people are going to move over to David, be happier with him than they are with you? And these accusations begin, begin coming, and he entertains them. And it caused a rift between David and Saul. Now, does Saul have any, any aspirations to take the throne? He knows he's been called to it. He knows God has given it to him. But he's perfectly content. We know. We read the rest of the story. He's perfectly content to let God bring him the throne. He's not going to take it. Even when he had opportunity to kill Saul on two occasions, he said, nope, not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, this is up to God. God put him in office. God will take him out. It's not up to me. So he had nothing to be concerned about, nothing to be worried about, but he doesn't know that because he's listening to an accuser who has come up. And as soon as that accuser has come up and whispered these things in his ear and he has pulled them inside of himself, what has happened to a flourishing relationship? Bitterness has come in. Distrust has come in. David hasn't even done anything against Saul at all. He's only helped the kingdom. That's all he's done. But Saul found something evil in it because the accuser was there to help. There are people in your life that God is trying to bring alongside to help you in what it is that you're doing. But the accuser wants to come and whisper things in your ear to cause division, to cause bitterness, to cause distrust, and to cause a separation so that a relationship that is supposed to help you is severed. Now, if that relationship is supposed to help you and it gets severed, what kind of help do you have now? You just cut off some of your help, didn't you? And then when it's not working real well, what do you do? God is not working. It's so hard. How come you're not here to help me? We blame God. But really, it's ourselves. We let the accuser come in and accuse those people that are around us. We believed it. And it changed the way we dealt with them. It changed the way we thought about them. Bitterness began to come in. See, there's a root of bitterness. When it comes up, it didn't just happen. There was something else that came out before. And that root was, was fanned to a flame. And the enemy knows how to say certain things and do certain things. And that bitterness just begins to come up. And it drives wedges between us and the people we need to have around us. I've seen it happen even with a job. A person has a job. The job is benefiting them. The job is good for them. And then all of a sudden, bitterness begins to come in because an accusation is whispered into their ear. And now they don't trust the place. They don't want to come to work anymore. They don't like the people that are around there. And what was there to help them, which was paying them good money, doing a good job, they suddenly, I don't want this job anymore. And they even leave it and go off and find something that doesn't pay as much because bitterness had gotten in. Because they allowed the enemy to come in and to make accusations. And things that are supposed to help cause bitterness. And that's not a good thing. Don't let those kind of things go on. You need to stand against it. You need to defend against it. It's up to you. you but you've got to stop it at the accusation level. We've seen people, you've seen people that are in a church, in a church growing, growing spiritually, it's doing good for them, and then all of a sudden some, acute, the accuser comes up, begins to whisper some things in their ear about somebody else in the church, about a relationship that's, that they want to take into a sour direction, whatever it might be, and then all of a sudden what was causing them to grow is taken out of their life. What's it replaced with? Most times those folks aren't too concerned. Well, this will this will work over here. This will do over here. And uh, and they go. And they do something else. I've seen people in a church that they were, that was, they were growing in it. And then all of a sudden the enemy whispered this. You know, your business would grow better if you were in a different church and talk with different people. And they left the church to go out and grow their business. And they began to go to a, another church and had more contacts and their business grew because they had more contacts. I heard, uh, I heard Keith Moore, he was talking about this the last uh, couple of weeks, one of the podcasts I was listening to. And he was uh, mentioning, he said, when Jesus went through the temple and he overturned the money changers and such things like that, 
he was, they had taken the temple of God and they made it into a place of business. And he was telling his church, and he has a very large church, he was telling his church, he says, leave business out of church. I thought, ooh, <laughs> that's something else. doesn't mean you can't do business with folks in church. doesn't mean you can't uh, have, uh, you know, hire somebody. That's not what it's talking about. But don't look at church as a place of business. Don't look at it as a, well, I need to have contacts. I need to have people that will come out and, and uh, buy my services or, or whatever it might be. Don't look at church as a place of business. Church is a place for you to grow spiritually. Make sure the enemy isn't able to, to sneak in and take what is meant to grow you, your job, your spouse, your kids, your family, whatever it might be. Don't let them come in and make accusations because the purpose of the enemy is to drive you away from those things that are making you stronger and better. And if he can get you away from it, then he can get you to be susceptible. Don't let him do it. Bitterness is one of those things that comes in. So we see that Saul eyed David from that day forward. What's it mean when you eye somebody? What's that mean? I'm, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Is that what that means when they do in that movie? They, they do that thing with the eyes. Is that I'm, I'm watching? I don't know if that's what it means or not. But it, uh, it, and then sometimes you see the special forces guys and they're, they're doing some of the same things, but they're not watching. Them. I know they're not watching those. They're doing something else. They're trying to say something else, but I don't always know what they're, what they're doing. But you know, somebody's watching you. What are they watching for? Are they watching for you to do good things? No. They're watching for you to do bad things. And even when you do something that wasn't bad, they'll see it as something bad. Why? Because you're looking for it. I heard somebody say once before that uh, if you're looking for something, you'll find it. If you're looking for a problem with your spouse, you will find it. If you're looking for your spouse to be unconsiderate, I know they're just unconsidered. They're not considered about the things they should be. You will find it because you're looking for it. Whatever it is that you look for, you will find it. You don't generally look uh, find things you're not looking for. Most of the times you're, you're out there, I've got to find my keys. When you find them, why did you find them? Because you were looking for them. You wanted to find where those, those keys were. Have you ever found that too? You're looking for your keys and they aren't where you put them. What's the first thought that comes to you? Don't, don't say it out loud. Somebody moved my keys. Right? Somebody moved my Somebody took my keys. Why did somebody take my keys from where I had them? <laughs> why, is, why is that? The accuser of their brethren, folks, he is all over and in all kinds of ways. Don't let that go on. How many times was it you thought somebody moved them and then you found out, oh, I did put them there, didn't I? <laughs> that, was, that was me. I left them in my pocket. I put them on a different table. Now, I don't know about you. I've got about three places I put the keys. I've got three different places that I put the keys. If it's not there, man, I'm in bad trouble. Because I, I got three different places. So when I can't find them, I go to the spot by the front door. There's a spot by the front door where you most, most of us put our keys right there. And if it's not there, all right. If it's not there, then there's a spot in my shop I put it. And if it's not in the spot in the shop, that's probably in my pocket still. If it's not in my pocket, not in the spot in the shop, and not by the front door, where do they go? Somebody took them. I know it. Somebody took my keys. Nobody drives my truck but me. Why in the world is anybody going to take my keys? <laughs> but that's a thought that comes to you, isn't it? Who's, who, who took them? Somebody did. Yeah, we, we come up with those kind of things. We've got to be careful. You let those things in and it brings bitterness and it's not going to help you. So Saul I David from that day forward. It means every day from that time forward, he's looking. He's not telling David. But how many of y'all know you can tell somebody's expression has changed towards you when they start eyeing you for, for things? Now, remember last week we were talking about believing the best? Yeah, we're going to still be on that here this week. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. Now, I know that sounds confusing. We've covered this before. We're not going to get into all the detail about it. Again, but just because somebody prophesies does not mean God inspired it. The Word of God is full of people who have prophesied and God did not inspire it. Not full, but there's, there's a number of them in there that you can, you can find. 
And when it says that the distressing spirit from God came upon David, it just means, according to the Jewish mind, that's how they, they write these things, that God did not prevent this from coming upon him or God did not stop it. Therefore, God had a hand in it. That's how they look at, at this particular thing. God does not have distressing spirits that he says, uh, you need to go out there and do this distressing thing. But when this distressing spirit came upon him, he would prophesy, but he would not prophesy things that were godly. I mean, if a distressing spirit came upon him, what kind of things would you think he would prophesy? Things that would sound like God, but are not. And lead people in, the, in an area that's a, that would go astray. So this spirit came upon him. And one of the things we saw in the chapters before, that David was, was uh, brought in to play his harp. Because as he played the harp, you know, um, just calmed things down. If you were here before, we, we told you there are only two instruments that we play that are in the Word of God. And I notice we have none of them up on stage. You need to get that. need to work on that. The first one is the harp. The harp is the one instrument we see in heaven. see that in the book of Revelation. The other one is, you can all guess this one. The trumpet. Yeah, the trumpet there. So God has a trumpet and a harp. I'm not saying that's the only two instruments he has. That's the only two that he tells us he has. Be interesting when we get up to heaven to see what all is actually there. But we know those two things, so we'll have to work on on uh, on getting that. If you were here in the end times class, I was talking to you. I think it was there about the church I was at. We had a harpist. She'd get up there. That harp is bigger than she was. Boy, it sounded good though. Tough instrument to. I think it's a tough instrument to play. I I don't know anything about it, but it seems like it would would be. So they would play this. He would come in and he would play his music. And it would calm Saul down. But see, Saul's changed now. He's eyeing David. And there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. How many times? Twice. That would mean that David had to be in his presence to play the music when the distressing spirit came upon Saul two times. The first time... He threw the spirit at him, and then he came back in and did it again. Now, how many of you, if somebody throws a spirit at you when you are playing your instrument for them, piano, whatever it might be, they threw a spear at you for the purpose of pinning you to the wall? That does not mean, folks, that he's trying to catch his clothing and stick it to the wall. He's trying to stick David to the wall with the spear. That would end up with what? A dead David. He's trying to kill him. And so he does it the first time. And what does David do? He comes back. Now, how many of you don't know that's believing the best? If you were the accuser, what are you whispering in David's ear? Don't go back in there with Saul. Saul's trying to kill you. Saul's, he'll make accusations. Some of them might even be true. But he's going to make them for a purpose of getting David bitter. And angry. But David goes right back into the presence of Saul. Twice he does this. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But had departed from Saul. Now if the anointing of the king was on Saul. And that anointing came upon someone else instead. How many of y'all know you could probably recognize it? Probably more so than anybody else. So Saul probably recognized that anointing is on him. That used to be on me. It's on him now. And he became jealous about it. See, this is what the, accusation, the accuser does. He wants you to get bitter at the people that are around you. You don't look at yourself and say, what fault did I have? What can I change? No, everyone else is wrong. Everyone else did something wrong. I'm the one that's right. That's the, that's the work of the enemy. It's not the work of God. The work of God is believe the best. Overcome. Love looks past all the faults. That's not what the devil does. I got to wonder sometimes, which, which influence are we following? But Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. It had gone. That anointing was not on him anymore. 
So David was one of the ones that was brought along to help Saul in his things that he was supposed to do as king. But Saul won't receive the help anymore. He won't even receive the help that he has from playing the, the music. Put this in your outline for you. How many believers have left what was intended to help them and even even had in the that helped them and even had in the past. Something that helped them in the past and something that was meant to help them in the future. How many Christians have left those things and what did they give it up for? My, um, my pastor, when, when I was out in Tulsa, he used to talk about people. They would be out there and they'd be in the church and they'd be growing. They'd be, uh, God was prospering them and doing some things and as they grew and they prospered, they get a uh, an offer to go move to another state and get a job. And so they would uh, come and talk to the pastor about it. He says, Pastor, we got this opportunity to go to this job. What do you think about that? He says, well, what are the churches like that are out there? Oh, I don't know. We haven't checked that out. So he says, so you checked out the job. You checked out the housing. You checked out what the cost of living is. But you didn't check out if there's a church that you can get involved with that will help you to grow. How many times people would do that? <laughs> it always amazed me that uh, that would go on. But that's one of his stories that I've remembered often. Because we can do that. We sometimes don't check out what's going to happen spiritually. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. Now the presence of David before this was a help for Saul, right? Then when David's in his presence, he wants to kill him. And then he just says, I need to get, his, to get this guy out of my way. I don't want him around here. Get him out. So what God had put in his life to help him with this distressing spirit that came, I mean, how is it that God can send David with an anointing that would help Saul out with a problem if God sent the problem with the distressing spirit? That wouldn't seem to work out so well, would it? But God sent him David, and he dismissed him from his presence. Get out of my presence. I don't want you here anymore. So he made him captain over a thousand. He went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw, <laughs> that's always fun to say, huh? when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. He's getting more afraid of, of David the more wisdom he walks in and the more that anointing grows on him. He's becoming afraid of him. Some of the people, folks, that come against you, come against you because they're afraid of you. They want you to be afraid of them, but they're afraid of you. Don't fall into the fear. Uh, where do we leave off? Verse 15? Verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. All Israel and Judah loved David. That's a pretty tall task right there that they all loved him. Uh, just to show you how fickle people are, what's going to happen here in a few years? They're going to they're going to turn David over. David's going to flee the land. Yeah, it doesn't last very long. Didn't last very long with Jesus either. Verse seventeen. Then Saul said to David, "Here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you as wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles." For Saul thought, "Let not let my hand not be against him." But let the hand of the Philistines be against him. In other words, why in the world should I get my hands dirty trying to kill him? I'll let the Philistines kill him. I'll just put him out there and battle even more. I'll give him a place where, you know, right now he's single. He's fearless in battle. So if he's fearless in battle, I'll give him a reason to come home. So if he has a wife to come home to, maybe they have some kids. He may be thinking out there in the battlefield, oh, wait a minute, I can't be so reckless and, and so fearless because I have to make it home. That sometimes change you. So he says, let my, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So I put this in your outline for you. So having operated under the anointing that is now on David, he probably, Saul probably recognizes that anointing. I already gave that to you before. I just want to make sure you had that to fill in. But under the unction of Satan, and his forces. He tries to kill the one on whom the anointing is now. Under the unction of Satan, that distressing spirit, he tries to kill David, the one on whom the anointing is now. 
Can you see what following after the accuser can do to you? The man that God anointed to be king over all Israel followed after, listened to the, the accusations being made by the enemy and now has got to the point where he will kill the one that has the anointing of God. To me, that's just, that's just amazing that you can go to that length. Now, Romans 11, verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. In other words, when God puts a calling on your life, whether you do the things that you need to do to follow after it or not, that calling is still there. Those gifts are still there. He doesn't pull them back. But the anointing to carry those things out certainly can waver. It can get stronger, it can get weaker, or it can completely go away as it did with Saul. But that calling is still there. And people try and operate and fulfill the calling, but the anointing isn't there anymore. It's gone. We know we need to pursue the anointing because it's with the anointing that we can do much. With the anointing that God puts on us, we can do much with little. Without the anointing, we can't do little even though we have much. It's the anointing of God that helps us. That's where we need to go. Verse uh, 18. So David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Mahalathite, as a wife. Now, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David and they told Saul and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So the guy who tried to kill you twice, the guy who put you out of his presence, the guy who's been eyeing you and watching you, he's delighting in you. Uh Uh-huh. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David and David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So he says, You need to go out and you need to kill one hundred Philistines. He figures if you go out by yourself and try and kill 100 Philistines, that one of them is going to get the better of you. And then they'll kill you. And you'll be out of my way. This that God gave to him to be a help who has been nothing but a help, he is trying to come up with ways to kill. But look at David's belief in others. He still sees this as a great honor to be the son-in-law to the king. Great honor. How many of you would say, I don't want to be a son-in-law to a guy who's trying to kill me? To a guy who treats me this way? No, I don't want to be that. But look at David. David does what? That's believing the best in folks. You want an example for it. David certainly is one. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Oh, is that all he wants? He just wants me to go out there and kill a hundred Philistines? Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave Michal, his, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. The more God prospered David, the more the anointing grew on David, the more Saul becomes afraid of him. And the more he sees him as his enemy. Here it just says he saw him from this point on as his enemy. Do you know that the devil wants to try and get you to view people in your life that God has put as a help to see them as the enemy? If he can get you to see them as the enemy, you won't receive from them. You won't get the help from them. You'll be cut off and you're easier to pray for him. 
be wise as to the ways the devil is trying to work. Because if he can do this, he is going to create situations, just physically, in your body, that will cause nagging things like pains and headaches and blood conditions and diseases and immune system problems, all those things we've listed in the, in the past. He'll cause these things to go on. Because he knows if he can sustain anger, bitterness, distrust, all these things that come from believing the accusations, if he can get these to be sustained in your life, then these conditions will create things in your life that will hold you back. If he can create situations that bring you into fear, anxiety, and worry, then other things can come in and, and take place and do that. You see, you've, he, he wants you to create a condition in your body that sustains the very things you don't want. And we can go up and get prayed for all we want to, but we are still doing the same things to create those conditions, and those conditions can come on back. I don't always share this aspect of, of things, but you know, one of the reasons that I run as much as I do is because of the demands that I have just uh, in, in just doing something like making monk beds. Uh, you don't know when it is. It's not every day. But sometimes, you know, when I go down to special, when I go down to shore, I'm taking three, four, five beds down with me, and I've got to take all the material for the five beds up one or two flights of stairs. And some of it's real heavy. And it's a lot of flights of stairs. And I've got to carry them all up there. And I have to make sure that my body is able to do that. Otherwise, I put so much stress on it when I do that particular thing that I'm going to create problems. So I make sure that my body is ready all the time. So when I go on down there with three, four, five different kinds of beds and have to take them upstairs at funny angles and it puts stress on the body, my body is able to handle it. We work it that way. I was at the um, uh, Lowe's store the other day, and they had some wood for me. I got $600 worth of wood. Now, I've got to take $600 worth of wood. I've got to load it onto the cart. I've got to pick up each piece and load it onto the cart. And then I've got to push the cart through the register and then out to the parking lot, and then I've got to take all that wood and load it into the truck. Then I've got to take all the wood off the truck and throw it onto the saw and cut all that wood and generally, most of it I'll cut on the first day. And the rest of it I store into the, in the warehouse. But I just, uh, I was noticing this when I was doing the other one. I, I got 600 on the cart. All $600 worth of stuff. was. I wasn't going for 600 You just go for whatever you can find and you, you load up what's there. And it ends up being two different carts are filled with wood. wood. And after I got done, I felt like, boy, that was a, that was a workout. I could feel in my body that it had, uh, it had taken on a workout. I still got more to do. I still got to get it all into the truck. I still got to get it all in home. But you see, I know those conditions come up. So I continue to keep going out there. And even when I don't feel like, I don't feel like, but I'm tired. No, I keep pushing myself out there because I got to be ready for when I call the, on my body to, to do those things. Well, you see, you have the same thing with yours. There are certain things that are going to push your body, your mind, whatever it is that, that you work they're going to push you to the limits. So you have to be ready for those times. And God will tell you what you have to do, show you what to do to get yourself ready for those particular times. You're going to create a condition in your body that says, I am well able to handle this and to do these particular things. But if we don't do what God has said to do, then what we are doing to put the, the strain on our body is taking a toll. And it's wearing some things down because we haven't listened to the Spirit of God to get us ready. Listen to the Spirit of God. He's telling you things to do to get yourself ready for what's coming so that these things don't become a stress to you. Verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. So now when David goes out, no one in all of Saul's army is as good as David. Now Saul 
wants David gone. He wants him dead. What did all the people say? We like David. In fact, we love David. Saul's probably heard the accuser. They like David better than you. <laughs> he might even be afraid to kill him right now. Let somebody else's hands be, be against him. I didn't put this in your outline. I put it in mine. Bitterness makes others little in your eyes and yourself bigger. Bitterness makes others little in your eyes and yourself bigger. When you listen to those accusations and bitterness begins to sit down on the inside, it's impossible to have bitterness towards someone else that you see as a better person, as a better Christian, as more spiritual, or someone you can receive from. Can't do it. So you lower them in your eyes because of the bitterness that comes in. People that are bitter against you have lowered you in their eyes and have raised themselves. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this to you. This is a scripture that was said about Saul. So Samuel said, this is speaking to Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? But what has happened to Saul? He's no longer little in his eyes and other people have gotten a lot smaller he has gotten a lot bigger and at times he sees himself even as bigger than God when the accuser comes he's making accusations against the people that are special in your life the people that God has put in your life because he wants to take them and he wants to make them smaller because if he gets them small enough he won't receive from them and if you stop receiving from these people that God has put in your life then you yourself will get weaker you won't notice it because in your own eyes, I am bigger than all those people that are around me. And this is how Saul is seeing himself right now. I am bigger than all those people that are around me. The people of Israel may see David as big, but I know better. <laughs> He's not big. And he can't really see true reality. He can't even see it as being a problem that he tried to kill him with a spear or that he will try and kill him some more. And pretty soon, he is going to take the entire army of Israel and wander them all around chasing David, leaving the borders unguarded and unprotected. And the people will lose goods, products, and lives because Saul is chasing David around Israel. Philistines will come through the borders because no one is protecting the border and no one will come after them because Saul and all of the army is chasing David all around Israel. And David, realizing this and some other things, finally says, I need to leave. And he left Israel. And Saul stopped chasing him. And finally began to pick up what he was supposed to do. Can you see that Saul stopped being king over Israel to be king who would kill David? He stopped being king over Israel. He stopped looking at the welfare of Israel. Stopped looking at the things that the nation needed. Stopped looking at the things he was called to do as king and began to do the things he wanted to do himself. And this is what the accuser will do, folks. If you allow accusations that he says to get on the inside of you, not only will you stop doing what God has said you are to do, you will come up with your own agenda and you will fulfill your purpose, not God's. Now, we don't know for sure which direction this is, but how many of you have read the story of Saul? How many believe, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you believe that Saul is in heaven? Hmm. I don't know, folks. I can't make a real good case for the guy making it. Can't really make a good case for it. But it's up to him. As, as one person used to tell me all the time, I'm in sales. He's in management. That's a management decision. We're just in sales. Always got to keep that in mind. Can you see how the accuser, he first begins to accuse others before you. And then you begin to entertain it and that bitterness begins to set down the inside of you. And pretty soon you start making accusations yourself about other people. And you become 
an accuser. And then you can go from there to begin to, you start whispering in other people's ears. And you begin to accuse other people before their brothers and sisters in Christ and making accusations against them. And it stirs up dissension, disunity. Haven't you seen church splits and church problems that go on? Why? Because somebody stood up and says, this person's not doing this. This person's doing this thing over here. And they become the accuser. Now, it's not to say that nobody in the body of Christ can ever do anything wrong or ever be corrected. The Bible tells us how to correct things and what to do. But when you become an accuser, you aren't following the modern Bible pattern. You aren't following the way that God says to do it. And the story we looked at last time, Jesus said to the woman, Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, They've gone. And Jesus said, Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. You see, making accusations against other people doesn't cure them, doesn't help them. But Jesus had a way to do it. So, understand this. The enemy is going to try and pull you into being an accuser. It is not something that is going to happen once or twice. It is going to be a continual, regular thing. And if you have given in to the accuser and have listened to the things that he said, that barrage is going to get even more. You have got to say no to it. You've got to chase it out of your life. And once you chase that out of your life, get rid of all those accusations from you being willing to hear them. Get rid of that bitterness, that anger that comes from it. You will change your life. You will alter the things that you feel. You will alter the chemistry in your brain, in your body, and the things that your body is supporting right now will fall away because the support structure isn't there. If you will do what God says, not listen to the accuser, Get rid of bitterness and anger. Believe the best in people. Remember those two things we gave you last time. Get rid of the bitterness and anger and believe the best in people. See, every time you get a negative, something not to, you ought to have a positive, something you ought to do. There ought to be something that you can focus on. I will do this. I will, I will go out there and, and, and do this thing. See, if, if, you just, if you're going to diet... If you just say, I'm not going to eat this, that's not going to help you. What you've got to say is, I am going to eat this. And begin to look forward to eating those particular things and getting a taste for it. You know, fruits and vegetables, you can get more of a taste for that if you focus on it. Say, I am going to, and then you list it out there, what you do. Have a positive, have a negative. Something you want to get rid of, but something that you want to add. Something that you want to bring in. All right, we put this here then at the end. God has given us help. Every single person in this room, there is help in your life. There are people that are being added. There are people at your workplace that are there to help you, even though right now it looks like they may not be the greatest help in the world. Things have gotten in there. Bitterness has gotten in. But they have been added to help you in your job, to help you do a better job. And if you do a better job, you get promoted. Right? You make more money if you do a better job. Should do, anyway. God has given you help. That's one thing you've got to say to yourself. Get up in the morning. God has given me help. Don't sit there and say, God, I have no one to help me. That's not the condition that God creates. God creates a condition where He has given you help. So wake up in the morning and say, God has given me help. The enemy wants to distance us from what God has given just know that's the purpose. The enemy wants to distance you from what God has given you. That's his purpose. He wants to drive a wedge between you and anything and anyone in your life that is designed to help you. So he's going to come and he's going to make accusation. And if you believe it, bitterness and anger can set in and it starts off a chain. Don't do it. Working fear, anxiety, and worry into your into our minds is one of his ways. He's going to work fear, anxiety, and worry into our minds. He's going to make accusations to bring in bitterness, anger, and such. These all will sustain conditions we don't like, even pray to get rid of, but never change the support structure they have in our lives. Get this stuff out. If you will get this stuff out, 
much of the things that you are looking for a specific word from God on to change in your life will fall away and go if you just get these things out of your life. Get worry, fear, and anxiety. It's all kind of jumbled together as one. Get that out of your life. Get bitterness, anger out of your life. Get it out. Don't let the accuser come in and make accusations against your spouse, against your kids, against your neighbors, against your coworkers. Get those things out. Don't listen. If you can do these things, your support structure will change. And you will be able to support and to do different things. How many of you have ever are, are planning to go down the shore this year? Anybody planning on going down to the Jersey Shore this year? All right, Naz is very shyly not wanting everybody to know. It's nice. A couple of people want to go down to the shore. If you go down to the shore and you look at some of the new homes, this is the thing that you're going to see down there. I know it because I'm in them all the time. They have changed the support structures of these houses. A lot of houses were required to be raised. And so if you go on down there, it's been going on for the years, ever since the, 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 the uh, Sandy came on through uh, and it changed some things. You know, Sandy was not this huge monster storm that came on through. It's just that it occurred and the conditions were right with high tide and all that. Anyway, it just caused a lot of flooding. And so they say, all right, this can happen, obviously, because it did. So we need to prepare for it. And so some houses that were completely wiped out, in order to rebuild them, they had to change how they were supported. And so they're supported up higher. They're supported differently. And some houses that weren't completely destroyed, they they said, all right, you can no longer be at this level. You must raise that level up. And I know this because I now have an extra set of stairs to climb up in every single house that's down in there that I go down to. There's now an extra level. Instead of going up one flight of stairs, I'm going up two. Instead of going up two flight of stairs, I'm going up three. Everything has been raised up by one level. You are no longer in any of the shore towns allowed to have living structure on the ground floor. The ground floor is the garage. Now, for some homes, they were like that before, but uh, not all of them were. We used to stay in a house. The ground floor was the ground floor. And I think that's all we had. That was it. It was the ground floor. There was no second floor. There was just the ground floor. And, and that was it. Well, no longer can you do that. And so they, they, they'd have this because they want to prepare for what could be coming. Get yourself ready. Know what the enemy is planning to do and get ready for what could be coming. If you get all fear, anxiety, and worry out of your life, like the Bible says, doesn't it say do not fear? Do not have any anxiety? Do not worry? Doesn't it say all these things? So if you get that all out of your life, do like the Bible says. You'll make changes in your life. If you get rid of bitterness and anger, stop getting angry at everything. Stop getting mad and see that everybody's trying to, somebody pulls out in front of you. They did that on purpose. That's what's coming into your, right? They did that. They're trying to do, they're not trying to do anything. They're just in a hurry like you are. But the accusations come and we hear them and we entertain them and we get agitated. We get uptight. We get bitter. And we are supporting things in our life that we don't like. And if you don't have anything in your body that you don't like, it's, well, that's not pertaining to me. I get angry. I get bitter, but I don't have any of that stuff going on. I don't have headaches. I don't have pains. I don't have these kind of things. Yeah, but it's stopping you from hearing the things of God. Because you have heard the things of the accuser and you have believed it. The accuser's purpose is to get you to change your beliefs. Right now you believe this person in your life is good. And he wants you to change that belief to now believe that person in your life is bad. You have a belief that says, I'm going somewhere in life. He wants you to change that belief. He wants you to believe that you're going nowhere. You have a belief that God wants the best for your life. He wants to change that belief to God doesn't even care about you. And he will continually make accusations and continually say things in your ear until that belief is supported in your life. Don't let it happen. Stand up to it. You can see the way that Saul went. And Saul started this this road before David came along. Don't you know that the accuser of the brethren came to Saul and said, do you really want to give all that to God? Don't you want to take some of it home? 
Don't you want to keep some of the best? Why should you just kill everything? Well, yeah. I mean, doesn't God want you to prosper? Why would God tell you to kill all of the flocks? Why not bring them home? Doesn't God want you to prosper? Isn't God on your side? He listened to the accuser a lot longer before David came along. And so when he came along with David, it was really easy to pick up on. Recognize the accuser and shut him up. Don't let him do anything that takes root. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you have told us about the accuser of the brethren and what it is that he's trying to do. That he wants to accuse us, not only before you, but he wants to accuse us to ourselves and accuse us to others and others to us. He wants us to be getting to think of the worst that people can do, the worst intentions they might have, and get us to the point where we believe that's what's going on. He wants to get bitterness and anger to root on the inside of us. And Father, you have a different plan and you have a different way. And I thank you that even if the devil gets some of those people that you have put in our life to be a help to us and he turns them into the place of anger and bitterness, that you will bring others along our way if we just stay with your plan and keep going your direction. Believe that you have the best for us. Believe that you have good things in mind for us. Father, I thank you for it. Give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we go, we had three praise reports we wanted to read for you. First was, well, we have some more. All right. Phyllis said, I had a chance to share the love of God with a co-worker that was experiencing a great deal of strife and mental and um, I don't know what that word is. Oh, mental and verbal abuse from her parents. It allowed God to uh, to show her his love and her worth. God is amazing, she said. Uh, Phyllis also put in here, thanks thanks to the oh, teaching on anxiety, I have been able to make adjustments to my mind and my body has begun to get in line. <laughs> Gladys, praising God that I am sleeping through the night without leg pain, thanking him for a new car as her second one. That new car is in her possession? Yeah, okay. I knew she was going out Thursday, right? To, we were talking about it on Wednesday, so anybody who wants to see a new car, go out there and see that. Ray, we received an unexpected blessing yesterday. My brother-in-law came over and mowed the entire back half of our property, a project I kept uh, meaning to get out and do. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for having Steve come, come over. All right. Haggis says he thanks, thanks to God for a fruitful and successful prom night yesterday. Didn't know I was such a popular guy at school. <laughs> nice. Jolly, stand with me. Oh, that's a prayer one. Let me get the other praise. Uh, Jolly, safe return from New Mexico. Chaplain training. He came back on Friday, that was, I believe, right? And God opened opportunity to represent him and testify to the truth before a Buddhist secular instructor who gave a chance to all chaplains to share what they know or understand about meditation and mindfulness. Glory to God. Most of you might know Nicholas Stein, producer of, is that Border Borderways? Border Wars with National Geographics. And that's the, that's the guy you were talking to? Nicholas Stein. I do not know him. But um, Border Wars actually sounds familiar to me. Oh, wow. Now, if you asked um, uh, Corey about that, he, he knows those kind of people who do that into the, in their work. All right, let's all stand up again. Jolly asked for prayer. Stand with me in prayer for a sister that I have testified about earlier for a breakthrough in health, home care giving, and finances. All right, this is, the, this is one you had shared before. Glory to God. Father, we just thank you. This sister will find that breakthrough through the word of God, through the truth of your word, through the testimony that Jolly and Mercy provide 
of how great our God is, how good your word is. We thank you for it. We thank you, Father, that each one of us can be a testimony, that you are calling each one of us out to bear witness of your word to everyone we come in contact with. I thank you for the opportunities we've been given to share with them what your word tells us about how we obtain victory here in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today at 1 o'clock we're going to be looking at the... uh, We're continuing the end times class. That's going to be uh, today. We're looking at the 144,000 that were sealed. I mean, you've heard about the 144,000. I used to be, year, many years ago, used to be in the school of thought that the 144,000 were those who were saved at the beginning of the tribulation. They are not. And we'll show you why they are not those that are saved and begin the tribulation. And here's the question that we put out. If you're up on Facebook at all, you saw the, this question. This is my favorite question that comes out of this. Is it a good thing to be sealed? Our first thought is yes, right? Yeah. Come on out to the class. We're going to show you. Is it a good thing to be sealed? Because why does God seal some and not others? So we're going to look at that uh, here in the 144,000. We're going to look at who they are. Uh, there's some fun things we're going to be doing with some of the lists that are in the Bible. So that'll be going on at 1 o'clock. If you want to go out and get some neat and come on back here, we'll be here at 1 for that Wednesday night, we're going to be picking up Philippians. Part of this we've already covered in some of the things we've done here on Sunday, so we're not going to be covering them as in-depth. We're going to be going on to some other, other parts on, on that, but we'll be in Philippians here on, on Wednesday. And then uh, next Sunday, cover dish dinner. Come and plan on sticking around. We get all done by around 2.15 or so, but love to have you here. We've got some things to go over with you. It's be our last time to be together at a church meeting until uh, October because the August one is a picnic over at our house and we have no meeting with with that so that's uh that's going on so that's next week just bring a covered dish with you and uh, we always have plenty of food even if you can't bring something we'll we'll find a way to feed you all right have a great rest of the day and bless some people before you go